be alive, isn't it? Amen, amen. Aren't you glad that you're in this church and not in the best hospital in town? Praise the Lord. Amen. It's good to be in the house of God. We are finishing up a series that we're calling Stand. And um, boy, I tell you what, there, there is, if I was a film editor, I would say there's a lot left on the editing floor. Uh, if I was a journalist, I would say there's a lot of stuff left on my desk. And uh, one of the things that I want to do, I don't know exactly when, and we'll t- give you some information, but... Um, we have a place on our website where you can sign up for a blog, you can subscribe to a blog. And what I want to do, I found myself a lot in this particular series saying things about the first, second, and third chapter of the book of Ephesians and how it's really important to understand that before you can even really appreciate what Paul, the point that Paul was trying to get to in Ephesians chapter 6. And so I want to do maybe some 15 to 20 minute teachings uh, just on video for uh, for, for that content, and I, I, my, my heart is to really continue to do that um, because there's always far more in a series, far more in a message than what I really have the time on a Sunday morning to get into. And so um, uh, you can go to greatjoy.org and you can look at that blog area and, and uh, click on the, is that what you do, click on the subscribe button or something? Uh, is, is that it? Okay, all right, good. So, 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 so we'll be starting that soon because there's just a whole lot of stuff. And so here we are on the last uh, week of Stand. Pastor Tim is up next Sunday, and uh, I think he's talking about losing your mind. And uh, praise the Lord, right? <laughs> and uh, Shelly and I are going to be uh, doing a, a, a wedding next weekend, so we'll be gone. And, uh, but I know Pastor Tim is going to do a great job, and uh, praise the Lord. So in Ephesians chapter 6 is where we kind of, where our jumping off point has been, and I, I feel like I'm, I'm going to give you a lot of bricks today to kind of build a foundation, got a lot of scripture to cover to get to a particular point that I want to get to. So in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10, it says, finally, my brethren, and again, this is the context of the idea that in the first, second, and third chapter, Paul has given some, some, some very, very strong uh, doctrine. He talked about the plan of God in chapter 1 and, and, and really the condition of humanity in chapter 2 and how that in God's plan, Jesus was the cure for the problem of humanity. And then in chapter 3, we read a tremendous uh, prayer by the Apostle Paul. And and chapter 3 is really how the Holy Spirit illuminates the church. And then in chapters 4 and 5, it gets really, really practical. He he, he actually says, walk worthy of the Lord. In light of what Jesus has done for you, in light of the plan of God, walk worthy of that. And then he gives some character issues. He gives some life issues. He talks about loving your husbands or your husbands loving your wives like Christ loved the church. Wives, submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. And children, obey your parents. And parents, don't tick your kids off. Well, that's not exactly what Paul said, but it's kind of kind of that thing. And then he talked about, he, he, he said, we, we, we need to love. And not just love, but we need to love as Christ loved the church. All of those things are not that easy on our flesh. So that's why, Jesus, that's why Paul was writing this. Finally, brethren, he, he talked about that. Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. He's saying, you cannot do this by yourself. You need that power that's been made available to you, do, made available to, you to be operative in your life. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of your might. Not only is just trying to do what Paul wrote about in chapters 4 and 5 difficult, he also lets us know we have an enemy. And our enemy is not the difficult people, it's not the parents, it's not the kids, it isn't the the husbands or the wives, it's not the boss, it's not the employer, it's not the employee. He says this, 
Be strong in the Lord, the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God so that you, you may be able to stand against the wiles, the tricks, and the strategies of the devil. He's twicky. He's a wascally wabbit. You don't have to be afraid of him, but you need to be aware of him. And you need to be aware of what his tricks and traps are, what his schemes and strategies are. And, and, and one of the most chief things that he uses against us is other people. And that's why Paul said in verse 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Our battle isn't with other people. I said this, I think, two weeks ago, that it, everything starts out spiritual first, and that's what Paul is trying to get over to us, that we have a spiritual enemy first of all. And if we are going to address natural things on planet Earth, we have to bring that, that fight, if you will, to the realm of the spirit first. He goes on, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. He gives four categories of of demonic spirits or forces, levels of, of, of power, if you will. The devil has a strategy. You need to know that. The devil has a plan. And and. His most important vehicle, the most important thing he wants to do, doesn't care how he achieves this end, but he wants to bring confusion, he wants to bring chaos, he wants to bring division, he wants to do all of those things that he could possibly do against, first of all, just the human race in general, because he goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, and he wants to come to steal, kill, and to destroy. That is his DNA, to kill, to steal, to destroy. And so there's an organization of spiritual powers, if you will. Now, don't let that freak you out. Look at the verse next to you. Say, don't freak out. Can I say that, church? I don't know. <laughs> the devil has a strategy. And there are categories, and again, I'm not going to go into all of the detail in this, but there are principalities and powers that that their mission, their job is they control a geographical part of planet Earth. We read it last week in the book of Daniel, where, where the angel came to deliver a message but was held up for 21 days by the spirit prince of Persia. That's a demonic power that, that's in the heavenlies. And so, uh, uh, you know, he, he, there are, there are uh, demonic spirits that... that have an influence over culture. There's demonic spirits that have influence over people. It's all spiritual first. And Paul said, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. There's another force that's behind it. Can I step out on a limb just a little bit? Can I tell you that racism is not an American problem? And racism is not a 21st century issue? That there's been racism on planet earth because it's all spiritual. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Racism has been on planet Earth ever since Adam sinned in the garden. You could go all the way back to to Moses. And and Moses, the Bible says, married an Ethiopian woman, a black woman. And his wife got mad about it. I mean, it's in the Bible. It's, it's, It's everywhere. It's a spiritual force. And certainly there's an awareness that we have to have, but that's what Paul's saying. Be aware that your enemy's not flesh and blood principalities, powers, mights, dominions. It's a spiritual thing first. And if we, instead of chasing the fruit, we got to take it to the spiritual side first. So the enemy has a strategy. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11 says, so that Satan will not outsmart us. We are familiar with his evil schemes. If you, uh, that's another one I don't have the time to go into, but it's an interesting context that, that this is given in. But, but it's again, we need to understand that 
the enemy has some schemes and strategies against us. 2 Corinthians 10, 4. The weapons of our warfare, the ones that we fight with, they're not carnal. That word carnal is fleshly. They're not fleshly weapons. But they're mighty in God to pull down strongholds. And this is his strategies. This is his, his way of working in our lives. He says, verse 5, casting down arguments and every high thing that would exalt itself against what? The knowledge of God. Every Sunday you're in this church, you are getting some of the knowledge of God. If you're reading your Bible, if you're in a small group, if, if, if you're listening to a message or a sermon online, if you're listening to worship, worship music, whatever it might be, you are gaining knowledge of God. And the enemy's strategy is to get you to question what it is that you're gaining. Did God really say that? Did God really mean that? Well, if God meant that, then, then probably this would be different. And, and you're not good enough because you remember what you did Saturday night and, and, and you're just a horrible person. That's his strategy. He brings lies. He brings deception. He wants to slow you down. He wants to stop you in your tracks. Or he wants to bring chaos, death, destruction, and division. That is, again, his mode of operating. 1 Peter 5.8 says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him. There's that word. Stand firm against him. Be strong in what? Be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering that you are. And again, that's part of the strategy of the devil. He wants to isolate you. He wants, you to, make, he wants to make you feel you're the only one that ever has experienced or gone through or has this tale of woe or, or has had so much difficulty in your life. Can I just offer a suggestion to you this morning? Please do not let the devil turn you into some kind of victim. Do not let him turn you into a victim. Your wrestling match is not with flesh and blood. It isn't with your parents or your upbringing or which side of the tracks that you were raised on. And I know that message is not popular today, but I believe that our God's greater. That God is a God who can turn things around and turn things in our favor. He's the one who can do the impossible. There's nobody who is like him. We just declared and sang about this great God. Great are you, Lord. Well, how great is our God? Is our God, is his greatness only determined by the economic situation of the country you might reside in? Is our great God limited to the people who are around you? Is our great God limited to something else? No. He's unlimited. And that's who we're in union with. So don't let the enemy turn you into a victim. Don't let the enemy think that there's something wrong with you. I grew up with that mentality. I grew up with the mentality that I couldn't be a Christian because there was just something wrong. I had the desire. I so wanted Jesus to, I wanted to be a blessing in, in church and the kingdom of God. I wanted all those things, but I reached a point in my life in my late teenage years where I was like, you know what? Everybody else can live this Christian life, but there's something defective in me. I can't do it. It's just too hard. There's just something wrong with me and it stopped me dead in my tracks and it wasn't until the day that I finally said you know what God you're smarter than I am and you know me better than I know myself and God my best day as a sinner was never as good as my worst day trying to be a Christian <laughs> and unfortunately a terrible motive I was like God I, I just I surrender to you and if I have to live miserably on planet earth and at least finally get to heaven then I'll do it because the idea of burning forever in hell just never really appealed all that much to me. 
But I was pretty sure, I was pretty sure I was just going to have a miserable life. Just, just this last week, we were having breakfast with some people, and somebody said, somebody made the comment, something about, would you want to go back to live, like, like you know, go back to being 20 again? And people around there are like, oh, absolutely. And I would, no way. I, and I'm like, absolutely, sign me up. I've had fun in life. I want to I reach the end of my life and go, whew, that was fun. I want to do that again. That's, that's, <laughs> God is, that doesn't mean it's been just a bed of roses and always easy. That's not the point. The point is that life is worth living. Amen. We're not a victim. Amen. There's a lot of difficult junk in life, absolutely, but there's a great God. Woo! But anybody else, but I'm preaching to me today. <laughs> so the enemy has a strategy. But you need to know this morning, this is my point this morning, not only does the devil have a strategy, God has a strategy too. He has, actually his strategy was before the devil's strategy. God had a strategy before the foundations of this earth. God had a strategy for your life and my life before we were ever born. And so while this talk of the, you know, the principalities and powers might freak us out a little bit, we don't have to be freaked out by it because God had a plan for us as well. He has a plan for his church. In Ephesians, this is so amazing, Ephesians chapter 3, the first part of verse 10 says this, God's purpose, I mean people in life, well, what's my purpose in life? What should I do? God's purpose in all of this, what he'd been talking about in the first two and a half chapters, God's purpose in all of this was to use the church. How many of you know church isn't a building? Church is a people. Look at the person next to you, please, and say, you're the church. Look at the person on the other side of you and say, he's talking about you here. Notice what God's purpose is in the church. God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to do what? Display his wisdom in its rich variety. God is a many-faceted God. If you do not believe that, there are 32,000 different kinds of snails on planet Earth. Why? I don't know. But God has a lot of variety on it. He's a creative God. He's a creative being. But again, he says that, that he wants to display his purpose uh, he wants to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety. His strategy involves this thing that we call the church or the body of Christ. It's the church, the body of Christ. Paul said it like this to the church at Ephesus, that, that we are being built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus being the chief cornerstone, that God's plan was to bring a people together so he could inhabit those people. And, and live through those people. Jesus said that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Jesus was saying the church that I build is going to be stronger than principalities, powers, mights, and dominions. And so when we read that first part, God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety. We need to ask the question, who does God want to display that to? The world? Probably. You know, church, answer in church, Jesus. What does Paul say? What does Paul, how many of you want to know what Paul said, who, we display, who God wants to display that wisdom to? This is amazing to me. God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Is that not amazing? 
that the wisdom of God was to take little old you and stupid me and make us an example to the principalities and powers. And God's saying, you know what I can do? You thought killing me, you thought killing my son was going to put an end to everything? You thought killing my son was going to be the thing that was going to stop me? Watch what I'm going to do. I'm going to put a new life in them and a new spirit in them. And I'm going to grace them and I'm going to bless them because I had a plan before you ever had a plan. I knew what you were going to do before you ever did it. How great is our God? How smart is he? Woo! (laughs) Ha, ha. (laughs) Oh, hallelujah. This was (laughs) this was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. This was his plan to use you and me, and he was gonna show off through this thing called the church. And even though we might be wrestling against flesh and blood, or we might see the chaos and the division and the junk that's going on around us, we're not going to get caught up in that because we're a part of a different kingdom. And we are going to live the kingdom of God principles and life on planet earth. And we're going to love one another, and we're going to pray for one another, and we're going to serve one another because we're a part of the body of Christ, and we have been enabled and gifted to be able to do that. That was my introduction. <laughs> Verse 12. Here, here's, this is kind of my, my hinge point this morning. Verse 12 says, because of Christ, first, second chapters of Ephesians and the whole plan of redemption, because of Christ and, everybody say and, our faith in him. Our faith, our faith, my faith. Everything that Jesus did and my faith. Everything that Jesus purchased for me through his blood on Calvary's cross and my faith. There there is a union that we need to consider there. Because I hear this a lot. Well, Jesus, he's enough. Yes, he is. Jesus, you know, he, he, he makes the way. Yes, he does. But I don't know about you, but I know a lot of people that it looks like Jesus is not the way maker. More like the devil placed a haymaker on you and you're out. Anybody ever felt like that before? We've all experienced those things. And, and so, yes, Jesus has done wonderful things. He's done powerful things. But it's, it's, it's activated by the faith that we possess, which is why last week when we were talking about Ephesians chapter 6, and Paul works his way through all of those things. He, you know, you've got enemies, and there's a scheme and a strategy, and you've got weapons, and you've got armor, and you put on the, the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, And the sword of the spirit, that is the word of God, praying always. There is something that we have to do. There is something we need to be aware of if we are truly going to stand. And that brings me back to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 13. Therefore, because you got an enemy who has a strategy. And as you've just found out, God has a strategy also. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand. Everybody say withstand. What are we withstanding? (laughs) That you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore. And and that's really been the the theme of this series, having done all to stand, stand therefore. And that's been my my problem in this whole series is I feel like I need to tell you way more of, of, of what, you know, the having done all part. You can't do the all part if you don't know what the all part is, but that's what he was talking about in the first, second, and third chapter of the book of Ephesians. 
But it's that word withstand that has really sort of bubbled out. And that word withstand, we've used this idea of a static load rating. That this, you know, before this building was ever built, before the steel ever showed up uh, on this property, before we ever dug a hole, there were architects that were working on the load rating for these beams. Before a hammer was ever lifted, before anything was ever done, there was certain uh, uh, specifications that went into work in this building to make sure that the roof could withstand the weight of any kind of pressure from the heaviness or the weight of snow. If we were going to build a building in Florida, then that building would have probably it would have to meet specs and codes for hurricane force winds. If we were going to build a building in California, it would have to meet the codes and the specs for earthquake tolerance or whatever it might be because it all has to be designed before the building is ever built. And I think we all get that, that there's a pressure in life, there's a weight in life, and that's part of the schemes and the strategies of the devil. He was a snake in the Garden of Eden. He turned into a great big old dragon by the book of Revelation. He makes you think he's bigger than he actually is. <laughs> so that you may be able to withstand. God's wisdom, this is, this is his wisdom. God's wisdom is to take what Christ has done for us and that we access that by faith. And so before you were ever born, the Bible is very clear that God has a purpose and a design for you. God, if I could say this way, God's your architect. This is some good news, church. God is your architect. And God has designed you before you were ever born. God would be unjust if he knew, because he did, if he knew you were going to face the the winds of 120 mile an hour winds, but he only designed you to, to, to face 80 mile an hour winds, God would have been unjust. But God is not unjust. God's a really good architect. And he has built you. And he has designed you. And he has created you to be able to withstand whatever it is that the enemy throws your way. He's able to cause you to withstand the temptation. You can withstand the pressure. You can withstand the fear. You can withstand the lying thoughts, the business partner that cheated you. Whatever it is, you have been designed to be able to carry that and stand in the evil day. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 says, we've become his poetry. This is the Passion Translation. It's kind of artsy and it's kind of, you know, but I really like some of the things in there. Most translations say that we are his workmanship, his creation, but actually in the Greek, it is the Greek word pomeo, which really means a poem. We are God's poem. Don't know what that means exactly, but roses are red, violets are blue. Mary, Mary, quite contrary, you look like a dead canary. Anyway, <laughs> sorry, there's Mary's in the house. Mary, you're blessed. Mary's, you're blessed. Mary's, you're blessed. All right. Uh, Verse 10, we have become his poetry. Hear this, a recreated people that will fulfill the destiny that he's given to each of us, for we are joined to Jesus the Christ or the anointed one. And, and so all of this is because of Jesus. Even before we were born, God planned in advance our destiny and the good works that we would do to fulfill it. God's got a plan for your life. He's got a strategy for your life. And he's joined you to this thing called the church. And he's put his life on the inside of you. And he's given you a destiny to fulfill. And every day we are his workmanship. But every day we also have an enemy who has a strategy that's lying to us. That's telling us it is impossible. That's telling us that because of our parents or because of our kids or because of our job or because of our color or because of whatever, whatever it is. 
That cannot stop the plan of God. God does not design you for deficiencies. God has designed you to make you equal to and, uh, 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 equal to and above every task that he has for you. So when you read in Ephesians 4 or Ephesians chapter 5 that we're to put off the old man and put on the new man, that's hard on the flesh. When we're to love, when we're to mimic God, that's hard on the flesh. But you can do it. You can do it. If we rely on the strength of God that's on the inside of us. And so again, God is our architect and God has designed and God has built things into you and to me to accomplish the purpose. That's why one of the things that we say as a church, we want you to know God. Because it's when you know God that you can begin to discover the purpose that he had in mind for you. God has a purpose for your life. And you can, you can fight against that purpose. You can try to go the other way. You can do all kinds of things. You might reach a certain level of success in this life, but it'll never be truly fulfilling until you find out what it is, until you begin to walk according to that purpose that he has in your life. I was convinced when the Spirit of God began to deal with me about pastoring 100 years ago, it feels like now. I was convinced that I wasn't good enough. I was convinced that I didn't know enough. I couldn't. I, I was convinced. I, I, I believe. That's really, honestly, that's really where the statement, uh, uh, you know, God is smarter than I am and he knows me better than myself. That was my statement of faith. May not sound like it, but that was my statement of faith. I don't see it, God. I do not see it. I don't see it in my life. I don't see it in my track record. I don't see it anywhere. But God, because you said that, because you're smarter than I am, I'm going to step out of faith, going to take a chance. Thank God I had a wife that was willing to take a chance with me. <laughs> and we went to Pennsylvania. And I'd love to tell you that, man, it was an awesome experience and that there were hundreds and thousands of people that showed up. We never broke 100 people unless we had food. <laughs> and I don't even know if we broke 100 then, to be totally honest with you. And I can't tell you, though, that how important that is. What looked like to a lot of eyes, maybe failure, maybe like, well, that wasn't really that great. But there were things that God built into me. There was confidence that God put into me. There was a knowing that God put into me. So don't ever be dissuaded by circumstances and situations that don't seem to turn out the way you thought they were going to turn out. Don't be moved by those things. Continue to walk on in faith. If you need to, take a step back. Say, you know what? Maybe that wasn't the door. Maybe that wasn't the way that I was supposed to go. But don't live there. Don't live there. Don't live in that place of, of, of I just don't know, and I'm in one. Don't live there. It's not in my notes, but that's good for somebody. You've been designed to withstand every storm and pressure and outlast the opposition in your life. That's what you're designed for. That is the static load rating that the Spirit of God has put on the inside of you. And it's all because of Christ. All of that is because of what Jesus did for you. Hmm. Don't we have a good God? Don't we have a loving Savior? Listen to this. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9. Paul writing to a young minister in, 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 uh, named Timothy. Verse 9 says, It is he who saved us and chose us for his holy work. Notice this. Not because we deserved it. He doesn't do this because you're so awesome. And he doesn't do this because he's taking pity on you. He does this because he's got a purpose. <laughs> he, 
He saved us, and he chose us for his holy work, not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan long before the world began. Can you hear a theme this morning? God has a strategy. He has a plan, and it includes you. And it was before the devil got his fingers in it and messed things up. God's plan doesn't go back to when you screwed up, now you need help from God. God's plan goes back to the very beginning, before you screwed up. And can I tell you how? We're all a bunch of screw-ups. Amen? Look at the person next to you and say, he's talking about you. <laughs> it is he who saved us and chose us for his holy work, not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan long before the world began. This is his plan. To show his love and kindness to us through Christ. That phrase is the word that we would call grace. Grace is the favor of God. It is the blessing of God. It is the mercy of God extended to us simply because he loves us. It's not based on whether or not we earned it or deserved it or we measured up in some way. It is solely dependent upon his love for you and me. That's grace. And God's grace will never give up. God's grace will never quit extending itself to you. Ever. The strategy of the devil is to say, man, you screwed it up so many times, God's tired of you coming to him. Anybody ever heard that lie before? Most of the people that aren't here today heard that lie. I'm not, I, I kind of, that is kind of a chuckle moment, but it's sad to me that we were not able to get that message to them. And people have believed a lie that there's something that is deficient in their life that causes them to, to maybe have the idea, the shame and the guilt that God doesn't love them anymore, that God... <laughs> But he does. His heart is poured out. His grace is available to us. So, another brick. Ephesians chapter 4. I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But God, this is why God moved. This is why God did. Remember, it's about Christ and our faith in him. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in the trespasses, uh, or dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. This is the power of the cross. By grace, everybody say grace. By grace you've been saved. That's his mercy and his love extended to us. By grace you've been saved and raised us up together. Whew. <laughs> raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that, here it is again, in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Familiar scripture to many coming up, verse 8, for by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not your, of yourself, it's the gift of God. By faith you've been saved. Or, I'm sorry, by grace you have been saved, but it's through faith. So when we take what, what he said in Ephesians uh, chapter 3, verse 12, where he was like, it's because of Christ and our faith in him. God, through Jesus, has given great gifts. We call it grace. He's given great blessing. We talked about it last week, Ephesians 1, 3. He's blessed us with, with all blessing. He has already blessed us with all blessing in heavenly places in Christ. But the problem is we're here on planet earth. Those blessings up in heaven aren't doing me a whole lot of good if they stay up in heaven. Because I need them right here and now. Anyone? By grace, you're saved through faith. If I could say it this way, faith is the door. Faith is the door by which we enter into grace. Faith is the door. There's all this stuff that's available to me, but I have to, by faith, step into that grace. This is stand. 
This is having done all to stand. I stand in the grace that God has made available to me. And faith becomes that bridge. Faith becomes that bridge. I, I, I hesitate to use this, but, this as an illustration, but I think it really, really fits well, at least in my simple thinking. I, I mentioned last week or the week before, maybe both weeks, don't even know exactly, but I talked about a vending machine. And, and years ago, we brought one in to sort of illustrate this point. And, and please understand, I am not trying to equate God, Jesus, and the Bible to a snack machine. All right? I'm not saying that, you know, God just wants to dispense snacks to his children and we can run off. And that's not my point. My point is to try to help you to see something. And we all know how a vending machine is designed to operate. It's, there's the machine, and it's got whatever it is in your vending machine. If you're a healthy person, then it's got all kinds of, it's got like kale, and it's got, you know, stuff that most people will never really want to eat. And then if you're like a lot of us, it's got chips, candy bars, and all kinds of things like that. But we understand how they work. And, and, and basically, it's this. You look what you want. It says B1. I felt like a bingo caller there. B1. Bingo. All right. And you put in your, the proper amount of money, and then the little dial, you push the button, the little dial spins, and the stuff drops out, and then we can access it, right? Boy, I, didn't, I probably didn't need to explain all of that to you because you're probably well accustomed to exactly how those things work, but just, just work with me, please, if you would. And so, <laughs> so we have this vending machine of the promise of God. And, and there's always a glass that separates to keep that stuff safe. Now, in, in our culture, it's to protect the stuff, but God has done a similar thing. He's not keeping it from us in, in those heavenly places in Christ. He's not keeping it from us. He's keeping it for us. And he's designed this thing called faith. Now, I'm not talking about a general faith like, you know, are you Baptist or Pentecostal or whatever it is. I'm talking about a specific active venture of our will. That we're going to trust God over our circumstances. That we're going to believe God even though we don't feel it, even though we don't see it. And that's the essence of faith. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. Faith is substance and it's evidence. Substance and evidence. Faith is substance and it's evidence. When I don't see it, when I don't feel it, when, when my mind is telling me that it, it isn't possible, when my mind is telling me that it's not going to happen, faith becomes the evidence of what I don't see or feel. Faith, be, faith is designed to be the substance of something until the something happens. It's the substance of things that I don't see. We tend to think that if I don't see it, it isn't there. If we don't see it, or using any of our senses, if we don't see it, if we don't feel it, if we can't hear it, taste it, or smell it, then it must not be true. And yet the Apostle Paul said that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So the Word of God is designed to be my evidence and my substance. The Word of God is what brings faith on the scene. Just like you would reach into your pocket and pull out change to put into the vending machine, God has given you His Word, and His Word is designed to produce faith in your life. And as that faith in your life begins to grow, as it becomes active and operative on the inside of you, you can begin to speak, and you can begin to say, uh-uh, Mr. Devil, not so in the name of Jesus, more than a conqueror. 
Uh-uh, devil. I'm not quitting up because I've been designed to withstand this. I want to fight with my wife, but guess what? There's power of God. I don't really want to. There's power of God. She sometimes drags me. No, I'm just totally kidding, totally kidding. No, she doesn't. She doesn't. Very, very gracious. Thank God. Whenever it is that is contrary to the word of God, that's his strategy. Did God really say? Absolutely God said. Well, you don't look like it. I don't care. I'm not moved by what I see. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. All things have become brand new. I know that guy last week was a screw-up, but today he's more than a conqueror. Hallelujah. This is the battleground. It really, really is. It's not all those things out there. It's up here. Hebrews 10 and 35 says, so don't lose your bold, courageous faith. Church, Joy Christian Center, do not lose your bold, courageous faith. Do not be afraid to step out and to believe God. Do not be afraid to begin to act like, to mimic your God. In whatever situation and circumstance you find yourself in, don't lose your bold, courageous faith, for you're destined for a great reward. You need the strength of endurance to reveal the poetry of God's will, and then you'll receive the promise in full. We are all going to face moments and times where the problems of our life, the chaos of our life, looks bigger than the promises. That what is raging against us is greater than the one who is for us. We're all going to face those moments. But that's why we have a shield of faith and a sword of the Spirit that is the Word of God, and we're covered with a helmet of salvation so that we can keep our mind, we can keep our wits, and we can use that sword of the Spirit that is the Word of God, praying always. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I come to you today. Thank you so much for your Word. Thank you so much for its power and its life and its ability to speak into us. Thank you for your presence in this place today. Father, I thank you that seated around us this morning, on our left and on our right, there are champions in the kingdom of God. There are those who have been gifted. There are those that have, have purpose laid out in them. And that, Father, I pray right now that every single one of us would step into that moment, step into that purpose, step into that life for us today. And with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, and if you're here today and you've never surrendered your life, you've never, that grace has been made available to you, but you've never accessed it by faith. And the way that we access it is simply a prayer. In Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, the apostle Paul said this. He said that, that if we believe in our heart, it's faith. If we believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess with our mouth that he is Lord, then we will be saved. And you might think that seems way too easy. Grace has to be received. You can't work for grace. You can't earn grace. You don't deserve grace. You have to humble yourself and receive it. Every promise, every blessing of God is received the same way. We humble ourselves. Whatever the promise is, we have prayer people that are standing by to pray with you. We're going to invite you to come if you have a need in your life today. But it's accessed the same way. Grace of God has given us healing. We don't work for healing. We don't deserve healing. We can't earn healing. We simply have to receive it. He gives us strength. He offers strength. That's the grace of God. But we can't work for it, earn it, or deserve it. We have to receive it. And we have to walk in it.
He's given us wisdom. Thank God he's given us wisdom, but we can't work for it. We can't earn it. Don't deserve it. We have to receive it. So, Father, I thank you right now that we can receive and be, recipi- be, be those who receive or recipients of all of the grace of God. And so if you're here today and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life and you would like to today, I'm going to invite you to pray a simple prayer with me. Just slip your hand up real high and let's pray that together. Anyone? Yes, sir. Thank you. Yes, yes sir. Thank you. Anyone else this morning? Just hold your hand up real high for just a moment. Praise God. Anyone else? Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Let's receive, let's pray this prayer together. Heavenly Father, I come to you today in Jesus' name. I realize I need a Savior. Jesus, I believe you died for me, that you rose from the dead, that you're seated at the right hand of God. I confess today I need a Savior. Jesus, I ask you, Come into my heart and life. Forgive my sin and make me brand new. I receive that today in Jesus' name. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these that have prayed this prayer, and I thank you you've begun a miracle in them. You've begun a good race. You've begun a good fight on the inside of them, and you will see it through to the day of completion. And we thank you for that in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said...